Saltos Universidade Lusófona. Conversations around the diversity of Portuguese cinema and the festival's focuses and retrospectives. In this edition, dedicated to new trends, subgenres, and ways of making cinema. Hello everyone, um, we're finally starting the Lisbon Talks this year. Uh, after two years of uh, the whole pandemic ordeal and the Lisbon Talks having been online, this is the first time that we're being physical again and also trying this new space, which is Sala de Cinema Fernando Lopes here at the Universidade Lusófona. Uh, starting the Lisbon Talks this year, the theme is based around the ways of making cinema because since we have a retrospective of Doris Wishman, so exploring the idea of sexploitation, indie music, really focused on music films and music documentaries and the likes. Also the Sylvester Focus at Lightcon, the experimental film distribution company, also sort of thinks about these ways of making films and so connecting the films of indie music and Womex, which we'll see we'll also talk about a bit before the the talk and the presentation. Uh, we sort of have this collaboration here between the Expo and Indie Lisboa, and also a talk revolving around the films of the Indie, Indie Music program. I'm going to now uh, hand the mic to Sia, and uh, after this small presentation, we're going to watch uh, trailers for two of the films, correct? Uh, yeah, we do a short intro and then we can just see the, the trailers. Okay. And then we talk further. Mm -hmm. Um, so my name is Lucia Udvardiova and I am here from Vomex, which is a music uh, showcase and a sort of touring um, event that uh, will actually happen this year in Lisbon in October uh, and uh, as part of this uh, event, which is focused on global music scenes and networks. Uh, there will be also a f music film section which uh, will uh, sh showcase films about global music scenes from across the world and these screenings will take place at Cinemateca Cinema here in Lisbon in October if you are here. You can check it out. And um, so we are here with um, three directors of music films and, and this whole um, talk will be focused on this uh, quite specific genre of documentaries which uh, reflect uh, the music scenes in particular ways and we will discuss them now and uh, we will let's introduce our guests so we have Ana Sofia Fonseca who's a director, uh, producer, journalist, and uh, she has a film, uh, a new one called Cesar, uh, uh, focused on Cesaria Evora, and that's also shown at um, this festival, or was. And um, then we have uh, Batida, Pedro Coqueño, and uh, uh, he also has a film uh, at the festival at Indy Lisboa called The Almost Perfect DJ. And then we have Alessandro. Uh, I pronounce it Melatini, so I pronounce it correctly. And he made a film about Italo disco. 
and uh, you also are a film director, journalist, and a producer. So, so all the three directors have also dabbled in other professions, as is the case these days, that people are not um, purely a filmmaker, but you also have to do other stuff around your films. And maybe now we can, uh, for a better overview of, of uh, what's to come, we can uh, play uh, trailers of um, the Almost Perfect DJ and uh, of your film as well. On a perfect DJ set, the audience is supposed to stare at someone, usually a man, playing with buttons on top of pre-recorded stuff, raising his arm and one finger and sometimes both. That and being sexy is just too demanding. But because as humans we carry on with the need of staring at someone above us, I looked for a representation of a man from the continent where I was born, typed African mannequin on Google. And this is what came out as an African man representation today. This performance is to evaluate how long can we celebrate an upright arm. Hopefully, at some point, you will disregard it and start dancing as if there was nothing more important to do on a dance floor. Perfect DJ set with the perfect audience, 99% of the entertainment value is assured by the audience. The value of the DJ but also the value of the audience is measured by the amount of noise they can make at this point.
disco es un virus, un magical virus. Es stato el momento en que l'Italia ha exportado el mayor número de dischi del mundo. Vamos a la playa, oh. No era una música que me piaceva. Poi mi sono reso conto que no se puede considerar un género, ma un insieme de sottogéneri. La Defina Fellini, la rappresentante più eloquente de la donna italiana contemporánea. Mamma mia. Yo andai en vacanza a Londra. E tra Michael Jackson, Elton John, c'era Dolce Vita la radio. First came the song, and then when it had success, then the producer would think, who are we going to put on the cover? Wenn man Musik wie diese alten Italo-Disco-Platten hört und dann hört man Daft Punk, dann ist es doch erstaunlich, wie ähnlich und wie verwandt diese Musik ist. Se non ci fosse stata quella musica, il sound europeo degli anni 80 non ci sarebbe mai stato. Lo disco era la colonna sonora di quell'estate. Gli anni Ottanta sono stati raccontati in maniera molto superficiale. Nel contesto italiano dobbiamo parlare di mega discoteche. Aber Italien führen, was so eine DJ-Kultur betrifft. Noi eravamo futuristi. Ma indicavamo il futuro e io sono futurista ancora. Aha, diese Produktion kam aus Italien. Deswegen dieser Name Italo Disco. So maybe we can start. How did we get to there? How how did how did uh, how did you come to to this uh, specific field of music documentary films? Because you all have different backgrounds. Alessandro, you studied economics, I think, and and you you also a journalist. You're a producer. Um, so how 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 did you arrive at uh, making documentaries and documentaries let's say about music you also done a music uh, a documentary about ska let's say so yeah uh, between uh, economy and uh, journalism i study also philosophy that's also an important part um, and uh, why I started to done documentaries, because um, after I made a degree of economics and a second degree of philosophy, I had to do something. I couldn't convince my parents to give me more money for the third one. So I started to make, uh, to be journalist. I was um, speaking about German culture for Italian newspapers. And uh, journalism in Italy, if you don't have connection, it's very difficult, let's say. So I, once I asked to me if I have to be someone which uh, fights uh, without anyone helping him, which doesn't have money, then I prefer to do documentary. It's the same shit, but it's more fun. So I started to do documentaries. And why is it more fun? It's much more fun because first, I don't have to report to a, to a head journalist every week what's happening in Germany and then maybe I work uh, uh, a lot for doing just a small article. Mm, if I do documentaries, I have, um, it's, it's, it's a choral thing, I'm not alone. I, I have um, an equipe with me. I, I have also the visual aspect. It's like journalism, but also visual aspect. And I am in control of the economy. 
because I am a producer and director. So it's a much bigger experience, I would say. And you, Pedro, because you are an artist, a DJ, you, you worked in radio, and you've been interested in music cultures and subcultures a long time. So um, how, how did you, let's say, get into into sort of uh, audio visualizing your uh, creative uh, ideas mm -hmm. I don't make that much of a difference when I make a radio show or a documentary or even a song sometimes they are more or less the same it depends on how you get it like my first song is kind of a s documentary on Angolan civil war and the, the relation with Portugal. The video turned to be kind of a short, abstract sort of documentary, but it's also at the same time a dance floor banger. So I usually, I, I try to make everything a at the same time, I guess. And then it depends who, who takes it. It can be a video, it can be a documentary, a music, a radio show. So it depends on, on how it works the best. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a survival mode for me. Uh, and, and I pick the the medium that it's more intuitive at the moment. Sometimes it, it comes with a camera that I just found at the time. Others, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. It's more of a need of trying to communicate and, and try to do it in the best way possible. I relate a lot with the philosophy um, uh, instinct behind these things. Uh, I didn't have the economics, but, uh, but, uh, but I definitely, I, I need to make just a small question. Can you survive out, out, of, out of this? Do you pay your bills? Now I can survive because I, at the beginning, was very difficult. Okay. And, uh, now I, I produce for Ada, so I have okay. made, I build up a company. Okay, because, uh, yeah, sorry for, for making the question, but for me it's quite important because it's like I didn't have the economics uh, school and I was kind of uh, feeling that I, I found someone that, that can, I can justify to others, like you did economics and then you did philosophy, then you went to documentaries, so you are all completely crazy as myself eventually, or, or I don't know, or you are very smart as myself, I don't know. Of course I'm crazy. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Money is an issue on, on these terms, and I have to make something short here. I'm not the guy that usually comes late at, at, at on a cinema and bumps everyone to get to his place. I just had a Womax and indie people are amazing people, and and they are very punctual, and I was not. So sorry for that, and for everyone who waited. But yeah, I did it because I need to communicate and I need to interfere on reality, and I need to contribute with stuff that I do sometimes uh, that I see and people are not paying attention. And growing up as a, an Angolan in Portugal or a Portuguese in, I don't know where, in the suburbs of Lisbon, I felt that there was this lack of communication between families. And I love all the families, most of them, and I, I like that for them to communicate better. And as I grew up also very alone, and I had also no connections or whatsoever, so I had to struggle. So eventually, some probably I wanted to make music, but I went to radio. Then I wanted to make radio, and I went to documentaries. So it was kind of a natural survival evolution of someone that loves to do everything from image to texts to music to anything related. But dance may be a common factor. Dance and coming together at some point, a kind of a, I don't know, a sense of <coughs> being in family or to bring people together eventually. And for you, um, making these films, is it uh, like a collective? Because like, we were talking about team, working with a team in a film, it's, it's, it's also a, a teamwork. So do, do you work 
is it for you like a solo uh, experience making your films or, or do you also work with with a team of people uh, when you make these films oh no i i mostly i i may have an instinct for doing certain things but i i mostly reflect uh, things on uh, from others and I, I i love to collaborate because i always find something interesting on others and i always get inspired by who else i'm working with everyone is very the p at least the people i'm lucky to meet they are very inspiring so yeah it's always kind of a solo when paying the bills and solo when believing when no one is believing but then I try to, to make it as much. Sometimes I even add up fake people on on on, on the final right, credit, yeah. so it looks like there was lots of people doing it. But there's always like more people than myself. I cannot work alone. No one can do anything alone. Actually, I don't believe in solos. And Sophia, you you also are a writer. You have a production company. You are a director. So can you maybe talk about your journey towards film? Well, in fact, um, at the end of the day, I'm, um, I like to tell stories. That's it. And I like to, I love to tell people stories. I think that sometimes if you start, if you start from a, the story of someone, um, a story of one person can make a lot of persons thinking think about uh, um, the realities that surround us and sometimes we don't see them or we don't or we don't think about them about it and um, so i love the experience i love to meet people i love to speak with people and um, since i'm a little child i love to listen stories and being a journalist or being a director give me the opportunity of uh, growing up and get getting get hold listening stories that's what i like it's to it's i like to listen stories and i like to tell stories so it was a natural evolution um i i don't feel that i'm a producer um i want to tell cesaria's story and to do that uh, i need to be a producer I hope that uh, if I have the opportunity to do another film, I don't want to be a producer myself or I don't want to be the only producer. <laughs> and because what I really want is to be on the field with people thinking about how to tell this story, how to film this story, how to create a language and um, that's it. And what are your favorite parts of, of making films? Do you, do you have a favorite part? Like, is it the creation of it, the, the spark in your mind? Or is it the research? Or is it the actual shooting or the touring? Because there's a big sort of festival circuit of, yeah, the, then people have to show the films. And so wi which, which is your favorite part of, of this? Um, I think there is, um, the, I, I, all parts are very interesting. The last interesting part is to try to find the money. But when you manage to do that, all the parts are interesting. For me, small orgasmus is when uh, I first shot someone, then I know that the movie is going to be. And also very, very interesting is doing the, the script of the movie at the end. But it's, every part is interesting beside the first the money four part. years when you try to find the money. What is your? Yeah, I never found the money. But um, 
yeah, that definitely is an, an honorable part. And I'm also very not consequent in terms of finding festivals or touring in terms of what I do in, term, in, in terms of video production. Um, I feel very humbled being uh, between these two uh, the movies. Your movies looks like amazing, like, I don't know, very Italo disco all over. <laughs> It looks very tallow. If you look, if you see the movie I made with the skin and some scar, it's much more humble. Okay, <laughs> yeah, but it looks great, and and I, I, I'm looking forward to to listen and watch the the story uh, behind such a such an interesting figure. Um, but yeah, the least the interesting. I don't know. I find everything interesting because I'm, I don't chase the money and I don't don't do tours. So that w is probably what I just don't do. So I'm looking forward to have someone that produces that part for me so I can be more financially consequent and make more and more, and more movies. I just don't do as much because I don't work on, on that business side of things. But definitely the part that I like the most from all the others is the script. Uh, when you find the right humans and the right people that inspire you, then it's really interesting to pick the right parts to make the person shine and, and tell a story. So to transform sometimes random, things into a, a story is the part that really makes me smile. Sometimes you suffer and you get old, you lose air, but then there's this moment where everything is like, oh, now now, now we, we just turned the, 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 the painful moment and everything starts to be very nice and pleasant till the moment where everything goes miserable again and then you start uh, trying to go to that moment and on and on and on till the end. And then eventually you feel horrible again when you see it on a trailer. And eventually, I'll feel better later on. I'm, I'm not sure. Why do you feel horrible? <laughs> I don't know. Like the sound was horrible. My voice. W I think this was a take, just just as a, ref a reference, and, and 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 that's it. It's it's enough. And I was looking to things like this, like maybe the the the, the, the thing was too big, but at the end, the Asian guy made me smile again. So yeah, I'm I'm fine with it. But I was horrible just 30 seconds ago. The sound was horrible also for me because it's no bass, but... Yeah, there's no bass, that's the thing, no okay. Blame yeah. I guess it's it's hard with music films, no? Because you need to make sure that the visuals are fit, but also that the music is representing what it should, I guess, in a... I, I'm touring since three months uh, worldwide with the movie, but yesterday I understood that and I went to the projectionist and I asked her to pump the bass. <laughs> I started to understand that. Yes, you're right. And because we're also talking about these various roles that, that, that you as creators have, because like, yeah, if, 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 you, if you work for, if you're an independent filmmaker these days, you have to be, take on roles that maybe you don't like doing so much. You have to be a producer, you have to promote the film, you have to make the film, you have to write. So, so, so it's, it's quite, quite a, lo a, lo a lot of things to do these days as an independent. I, I did apply for Womax and Indie only. Actually, I applied for three festivals. One didn't reply and the other two accepted. So I should eventually sign up for more. I I'm not sure. Or maybe I was lucky. So I, I'm fine with it for now. So yeah, I don't do that part, but it's something that these days you have like good tools. Uh, for example, the, the website that I use is Film Freeway. So there's, there's, there's a whole like uh, facilitation on, on in terms of web for you to di distribute your stuff. But then again, I think it's about uh, human relations at the end and you have to meet people and you have to, to talk about your movie because in this arts circuit, I believe that sometimes uh, others buy more the, pe the person than the what you do uh, on its own, like they have to believe you somehow. 
And so, yeah, that social part, I don't do it, but um, the, the, the production side of uh, signing up, I think it's just me that I'm, I'm lazy or, or I'm not focused on that. But it's easy these days to distribute stuff if you are not looking for uh, financial consequence, if you are just into sharing the information, which is my more my instinct, like more journalistic side of sharing an, a story. As long as I'm not owing money to anyone and the story keeps on being talked about, I'm happy with it. But hopefully one day I'll be rich. Let's let's hope. <laughs> yeah. So and, and and is it yeah? I sometimes the relation with the film it's like a relationship. So I love the part of the beginning, the passion when you have the idea and the idea seems the best idea in the world and you are so in in love with that the idea for the movie that you can be a lot of months thinking about it and dreaming about it i love that part and then i love the part of uh, making something with that idea but not the part of uh, looking for money i hate it look uh, producing i don't like it i like to do the, tell the story. So I love to, as I told before, I love to go and search a story. I like to make the research, mm. the the part of the narrative research and that kind of things. I love to do that. And it's like I was, I, wo I work, um, I'm still a journalist, so I worked uh, more than 20 years as a journalist. So for me, uh, making the research is something that I really l enjoy. And uh, being on the field and uh, trying to find the best way to shoot and the best picture and uh, the trying to find the best characters and that kind of thing that uh, it's the part of the love with the story and uh, it's very good to be in love yes and can we speak maybe concretely on the, on your film because there was a lot of research in that and a lot of archival material in, in the Cesarea Vora film. And can you maybe, if you tell us uh, how, how, how the whole uh, this good days and film bad days was, was made with this iconic figure of music? Well, it's very hard to do an archive film um, when the most part of the archive must be found in countries like Cape Verde or Portugal, because if you are speaking about the United States or even some countries in Europe uh, in the 60s, in the, in the 70s, in the 80s, uh, a lot of people have money to have a camera and they have some, they shoot. And they have conditions to keep the um, to keep the, the 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 material, the footage, and that's okay. When you are speaking about, for instance, Cape Verde, it's very hard to find someone who had a camera on that time, and uh, if they have a camera, they had a camera. They don't have the conditions to keep the material, to keep the footage. So um, I spent a lot of times. I spent, for instance, once I spent two days in a um, garage, searching, looking for material, and it was in in uh, travel bags, in travel suitcases, and in cashier's uh, cartão. Uh, card boxes. Car yeah, and uh, okay, it uh, a musician uh, that uh, he traveled from Cape Verde to Europe, and for three months. But at the end, uh, he stay. He's st he's still here. So 
he left all his first life there and uh, he gave me authorization, authorization to go there and to look for, to looking for, to search material. And we were two days on that garage trying to find and um, at the end we didn't find anything. Well, we find the camera, but we don't, we can, it, we, it was impossible to find anything more than the camera, so we were really sad. But um, other times, imagine, uh, I, once I was, I, I found a picture on internet with uh, four uh, Portuguese sailors in 1968, eight, and they were in the Cape Verde on that time. And I found a picture and they were with Cesaria. And if you look really, really, really hard in the picture, you can f see a small uh, recorder. So I, I need to find these guys. But I don't know who they are. I, I, for the clothes, I can, I, can, I can see that they are sailors from the Portuguese Navy, but nothing more than that. So um, it was really hard to find them, and I was with the picture of them with me for more than two years and a half, and then I had uh, a friend um, helping me to find them, and it was, all, it was impossible. Once someone told us that, uh, well, for the, uh, that they should, uh, that maybe they are, uh, they are, they passed away. So when two years and a half later, I decided to stop looking for them, uh, two or three days after that, I received a phone call, and uh, it was the contact contact of one of them, and um, the one of them it was living like 15 minutes from my house, and I was looking for him for two years and a half. So, and uh, it was unbelievable. And the most incredible is that um, that. Uh, Man, now with almost 80 years, um, had a small camera, not only a recorder, but a small camera. So he was shooting all the travel to all the journey to Cape Verde. And um, it was a very happy day. <laughs> so it was like good days, bad days, but I can tell you that um, one year and or one year and a half, something like that, after I started the film, I didn't have anything. Well, I have something, some footage, but not footage from televisions and every very well-known footage. I don't have anything, so it was. But it was a great adventure. It was nice detective <laughs> adventure, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so, it was. How long were you making the film? Actually, did it? Well, in fact, I started in 2017. And uh, I went to Cape Verde for the first time to shoot on February uh, 2018. And uh, only with um, my money from, I need to, I, I was thinking on, I need to buy a car on that time. I had two kids and I really need to buy a car on that time. But uh, well, we decided to tell the story. <laughs> It was like that that we mm -hmm. start. Mm -hmm. And how with with all the research material? Because because it's 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 yeah it's like how do you dis uh, you have to sort of like put a puzzle puzzle together from yeah it was a, a narrative as well yeah it was a puzzle. I was editing with a very um, good uh, professional and very good 
person, Claudia Rita Oliveira, and we were working together. When she started working with me, we are we were like uh, all days discussing the film and how to do the puzzle. But that's one of the most incredible part of the process. I like to do the puzzle. I think that um, when I start working on television, I was when I start I I really I start doing all uh, doing features long features so and I would I come from the uh, from writing so for me it was like when I st for the first time I I made a feature I was like okay this is like um, making a uh, cartoons it's like uh, comics, yeah. comics like comics so it's like making a comic I need to think about image and, um, and, and text uh, and text at the same time so let's do this like a cartoon and uh, so for me now I don't see it like a cartoon but uh, kind of I like to do the puzzle nice and you you Petro could you talk about the the film that you're presenting at this festival, yeah. Almost Perfect DJ, because that's that's also deconstructing, let's say, some sort of phenomenon in, in, in music. And, and your films also, in a way, deconstruct these sort of, um, let's say, socio-cultural, political concepts and stuff. Uh, it, like, there's so many construction that it seems the only um, interesting thing to do is to deconstruct. Um, Maybe one day I'll be just constructing, but I'm not sure if it will happen. But yeah, I usually don't do th movies about me, uh, and this this show this movie has a certain audio uh, self autobiographic thing. But I started doing um, documentaries about uh, Luanda or about mostly Afro descendant artists. Um, this one came up because I was. Um, I just had a huge burnout, I don't know, five years ago, because it was so huge, I don't know when it was. Um, but maybe it was, it, this was not traumatic, I was trying to be funny. But it, but I definitely don't know when it was. Uh, it was probably started maybe t 2014, and then I had this performance at Eurosonic that was a complete flop, uh, named The Almost Perfect DJ. It was horrible like really, like rock bottom, people were being very nice, like tapping me on the back, like, yeah, it was, I could see it's kind of a deconstruction. Yeah, that's what I do. But was it a good deconstruction? And then, I, uh, but it was mostly about the DJ. And then I, I decided that to, to, to keep talking about it, but instead of making it a performance, because it was such a big flop, maybe it could be a better documentary. Um, so I'm trying, I'm making the same thing over and over, but in different ways, that's what I do. and. Uh, yeah, this, this one was quite obvious because as much as I traveled and toured as an artist, uh, I could see that sometimes playing as a DJ was so easy. So when I say easy, it's like natural and like something so easy and so well paid and giving so, uh, having so much attention as opposed to doing a documentary or making a show, creating a performance, a choreography. So much hard work and then nothing works. And when you get there, you are adored and you just throw your finger in the air eventually, like I said, two fingers, it's like people go mental, like if you do this, and if you do this, or like, depend, you can be really creative with your fingers, and people just go wild with your fingers, and you just, you're just not doing anything. Eventually you do something like this, whoa, I'm cutting the bass off, wow, here we go again, 
it's amazing because I used to do that on my room and I wouldn't be applauded. So I just found this exercise of being artistic. As, as a DJ, the DJ can be like a priest, can be like a philosopher, can be like all sorts of things in the best, on, the, on a good day. On a bad day, can be just a mediocre uh, artist and performer picking shitty music and being well paid for it. And, and I find it that, that very interesting. It's like with politicians these days. Uh, you don't have to, have to be charismatic, you just have to be a good performer and things will do for you. So I relate the, this uh, figure of authority, male authority, white authority most of the times, performing authority, lack of uh, merit most of the times, um, very interesting. Uh, so I had to portray it somehow and I, I felt that maybe instead of just pointing the finger to others, I thought it would be more honest of me to assume myself as a DJ because I am and to 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 see how how, how strange and how, how funny and how stupid it can be to be a DJ sometimes, how depressive, how incredible can it be. So I, I put myself in on the same position so I can talk shit about DJs. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's it. Uh, so I decided to do it because I, I, I was definitely in a low point and I, I decided to laugh about it, which is the only thing I could do at the time. And and it still goes. Now with the pandemics, we, 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 we could have a more clear definition of how a DJ is so essential and how like a, a shallow DJ is not essential at all. So, and, and, and the film tries to portray it also like how it depends on you as a DJ and as an audience, what do you want to validate? And that for me, if I want to sell the movie, I would say is a metaphor for anything in life, democracy eventually, who we pick to adore, because we always need, like even Macron, he's not that tall, but he needs um, like a small step, like because French people are very like uh, common and to, uh, all very, I don't know, very sophisticated. So they don't talk from high places, they talk from just slightly taller places. So they are not really with you, they are just like half meter above you. But that need of always being above the others and talk above the others, uh, I don't know. My grandfather, my stepfather used to call me an anarchist as an insult and I take it. So, so you don't like authorities, I guess? I like, uh, I like natural authority that comes out of more horizontal organization. Like for example, if Cesare Evra would just pop in right now, we would be amazed because it would be like, I don't know, like Nossa Senhora de Fatima kind of thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, but she, she had a natural thing going on as other people that I know with a certain age that you respect the whole thing that they have done and the emotions they can convey as artists. So that for me is a natural authority, but it's not so much as a, an authority, but more like a space that you occupy because you have all that to feed us all. And that for me is like a positive authority. Authority that comes out of talking in a certain way, dressing up in a certain way, position yourself physically, and know all the pornographic shit about how to manipulate people. I just found it very, I find it very insulting for people who are manipulated. And uh, it, it's, it's very predictable, very literal. So yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it when, when it's done in a technical way. If it's done in a natural way, in a dynamic, like I'm now I'm talking, but now I'll stop talking and eventually someone starts talking, that's how it should be. So I'm not going to occupy more space. Okay. Alessandro, and your film, uh, which uh, talks about Italo Disco, which uh, is, and, and also, I guess because you're Italian, you live in Germany for a long time, there's, there was also this connection between Italy and Germany in this 
Italo disco sphere. So was it was this film also quite personal for you, or can you maybe talk about it? <coughs> um, I usually don't like to be in the movie, so in. I'm not in any movie of mine at all. I want to be to speak through the script, through the people, but of course every documentary is a piece of me, myself, everyone. So also this one. Uh, this one, based on the fact that I am in Munich, <coughs> my uh, partner in crimes are sometimes television from Germany, so my street credibility comes from Italy. I would like to make a movie about Kafka. I proposed, but they said no, because the Czech television is already made. Into. So I have also to find Italian themes, not because I am so interested in Italy, but because I have to find things which interest me and things which I can finance. So it's always a trade-off. Um, having said that, Italo Disco is, uh, of course, uh, something which has born in Italy, has developed in Germany, has conquered the world, so it was kind of natural to, to relate to these topics. The uh, funny aspect of it, it is um, that usually if you don't know it, <coughs> you think it's just uh, cheesy or trashy, which it is, but it's also genius. And for me the challenge was to take the topic and try to show how much passion, how much uh, Italy it is in this uh, fake English dance. So I would say yes, it's, um, it's part of me. And was there something that surprised you during, let's say, researching and making the film about this topic? Well, every time that you do something with Italy, you have to be ready to be surprised because Italy, it's, um, it's, it's very incredible. I mean, you cannot be not surprised doing something with Italy, even if you do a documentary about the road will be surprised. So um, what uh, I knew was that it was going to be extremely difficult to, um, because of the music rights. We do music documentaries and we know how difficult it is. It's a bloodbath. That was taken for granted and it was like that. Um, I usually when you interview people which have had some kind of success, it can be sometimes funny, sometimes less funny because they are a little bit arrogant. Um, but everybody was very nice. They were um, very happy, very surprised that I wanted to approach me to this uh, topic with a kind of anthropological interest, not with judgment. It is doesn't that they, they were kind of surprised, probably because they have been approached mostly from fans. Uh, and fan, they have a, they have a special eye, which is maybe a little bit too much uh, on the good side of it. I just wanted to observe them, but they understood that they felt they felt themselves themselves uh, understood. And I think this is important when you do a documentary. Maybe you don't like someone which is speaking in front of you, but you try to understand them. And uh, it was all by them, with an exception from Sabina Salerno because she is the great diva, she feels like that, and it was extremely difficult to get to her. So I was surprised how difficult it was. And when I started to do the interview, she said to me, I'm not gonna speak about the 80s. <laughs> and I'm doing a documentary about the 80s. So, so I had 
to invent questions to let her relax. Um, but mostly I would say um, I was surprised how those people still now, after so much success in the 80s, so much money, so much drugs, they manage somehow to to be steady even now. They are not totally crazy. They are nice people. You can speak with them. Um, that was the surprise, the naturality of my protagonists, I would say. And Sophia, were you surprised by something? Was there something that surprised you that you maybe didn't expect? Um, I just want to say to say before that um, a documentary uh, is al is always something uh, a very personal journey journey, and uh, in I believe that in all films there's a lot of the director there always because it's impossible to tell a story without being there, without a lot of you. Um, for me, it was an, an enormous, it was a huge privilege to be with Cesaria. I saw so many hours of footage, uh, so many pictures, so many archival material that uh, was not supposed to be seen, that I really feel that I can, I was with her and um, for me, one of the great challenges was that um, I was I was in in several concerts, uh, Cesaria's concerts, but I was never been in the backstage. Uh, I was never at her house before, so I want to go there. I want to go to the backstage. I want to see that woman uh, in her intimate world. And um, I want the, the public to come with me too. So it was an it was very it was incredible to be with her so many hours. And um, at the end, I felt I now I feel that um, she's someone very close to me that I really know her very well. If we were like uh, friends, it's strange because I've never be with her uh, physically before. So um, it was, um, I discovered that um, she was a really intelligent woman. She has a, a great hum sense of humor and um, she's a natural um, star. Uh, she, she's, she's really incredible because, and I really believe that for understand her as an artist, you know to you need to know the woman because um, her voice it's the portrait of her life and um, it's um, it's incredible how she conquered the world singing in um, language uh, that almost no one understand she always uh, sang in creole and the most part of the world doesn't understand creole and um, well what i and uh, that make me to take a lot of uh, her personality make me um, to take a lot of narrative and aesthetic decisions for instance i decided not to subtitle the musics and why because if cesaria conquer old world singing in creole and no one understand what she is singing i don't have the, I, I was like i don't have the right to subtitle uh, just because it's good for understand better understand the narrative, 
And um, I, I believe that uh, feeling doesn't need tra translation. Um, so if she was singing like this, if I, I, I need to do the same with the film, even if um, sometimes it will be better for the film if I subtitle the songs. And um, it's a layer on the, uh, on the understanding of the film. It's another layer that only those who understand Creole can uh, understand. But um, I, I believe that um, it's good to take uh, narrative and uh, aesthetic decisions um, that cause uh, that uh, that are in tune with the in this case with the character, and it was very interesting to find such an inspiring woman, and um, she was much more connected to the world and to the reality that's around her that. Um, it seems, and also, also with 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 a lot of these sort of unseen footage or, or like this footage that w wasn't published before. I guess there's a lot of responsibility to what you communicate now with the public, with with this sort of material. I guess no. Yes, it's a responsibility, but um, you know, I think that um, great part of Cesaria is that she's a. a a diva like her, but like us, you know. So all the um, complexity of the um, human nature uh, is on her. She's a very complex woman and um, with all the... Um, so I think it's important to show her like that. Like uh, when you speak about the barefoot diva, it's not just an, it's an image. But uh, she was, in fact, a barefoot diva in the most deep sense of the expression because um, she's, uh, she doesn't know what means, um, for instance, human empowerment. Um, but uh, her way of life, it's a way of fight, fight against prejudices. And uh, that's for me, was really interesting to discover. And do, do you feel like, that's a question for all of you, do you feel that um, for you these films are also a way of how you communicate your sort of worldview or how, or, or, because there are lots of topics uh, like Pedro, like colonialism and, lo and, and politics, empowerment and uh, uh, these strong characters or these movements and capitalism. So do you feel that these films are also a way for you to communicate this sort of worldview that other people can relate? Mm. Yeah, hopefully so. But sometimes just by doing the documentary, uh, you are already, by making it, because we just sometimes we talk a lot about things, about romance, but it's way much better when you live it. And uh, I don't know, for example, doing the, the documentary on Cesaria, um, there are so many things you can just think about all 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 of these things, like not translating uh, a language that was not that well not not that well understood by the world. It makes me think about things like why did you did we took so long to validate Cesaria? Um, why was not Creole um, a worldwide language in terms of music before? Yeah, everything, every question is almost like a conclusion uh, of how we don't like ourselves that much in terms of 
Portuguese-speaking countries, except for Brazil, eventually. In Angola, yeah, we like ourselves a lot in Angola. We just treat ourselves very badly. But yeah, it make it, I think the movies just, you don't have to have a narrative or you don't have, just by doing them, you are you are already illuminating love, like in, in the Italo Disco thing, like, like portraying it with dignity. Bringing dignity to the characters, I think it's someone that, something that sometimes people that do documentaries, I think, relate with that. To, to put things in a different light. For example, my first documentary was about just the streets of Luanda, and I mixed very talented and charismatic MCs and poets with people that, I, that, that were just on, on the street. And if you just pick on those texts and, and write them all, they all have the same value. It's not like the poet and the, the, the poem. Sometimes what people just say on the street, they, it's just straight poetry. So yeah, sometimes to, to put a light on normal things and put them in this format of, of a screen, it's a way to bring them uh, some sort of dignity. But uh, there's also another way of doing this, which is through the more the aesthetic side. Like I was blown away by, by the trailer uh, of, of your documentary. It looks amazing. Uh, the it looks amazing. It's so beautiful. So so more beautiful than it, than than Italy is usually beautiful in terms of aesthetics. But um, it's way more than that. That there's an artistry on on, on the way you show it. So it, the Italo disco has to be portrayed not as a trashy thing, but as a glamorous and and important and eventually genius thing. The same thing with Cesare. Eventually to to, to show I haven't seen the movie, but to show her in a more like down to earth way and and still. Uh, she manages to be charismatic. That's such an it's an empowerment by itself. Like it doesn't have to be full of lights. It's just her, and she's as striking as as she can be. And with the DJ, I tried to do the the, the opposite, which was to to illuminate sometimes the dancers that are like underrated uh, characters of a dance floor. You have one DJ and I don't know ten thousand people, and if th th those people just run away, the DJ is just ridiculous alone. So to portray dancers, and also to portray the, the 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 art of dancing, which is so important, someone that is not just moving but has a certain speech on the way the person moves, uh, yeah, just just giving space for people, people from different colors, uh, options, uh, statue, and 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 see when you put them all on the same media how everyone looks the same and how everyone can be genius or amazing or sensual or interesting or whatever. It just depends on how, how you see them. And I, I think I go back to the romantic part of, of this. Like Sometimes I do fall in love with certain characters that I portray and there are like sentences that I use m to myself. I, don't, I haven't read the Bible. But so so I, I use certain sentences that I keep for myself for people that I interviewed or talked with as, as things that sound like they could be in, like in some special book like that. And that's really interesting. I, I like to, to kind of put in, in confrontation normality and what could be regarded as something that is more glamorous and to play with it, to change roles and to see how it goes. So yeah, dignity, romance, uh, yeah. And, and sometimes provoking with, with, with romance, it's, it's, it's something that is sometimes too provocative, provocative. when you throw romance to, to us as an audience, sometimes people just react in a in a very weird way. Hate is easy to sell, but but love and and, and, and romance is way more difficult. So sometimes you just have to find ways to say I love you, but in in a way that people don't feel like oh my God, he's saying I love you. So the, even the performance uh, it ends up 
uh, with a statement that uh, had two different, uh, that I'm going to share with you, it's, it's briefly. Uh, the, the performance ends with uh, the artist at some point has to say something deeply emotional, and that translates to a documentary or a DJ. And there's a silence, and then the voice says, I almost love you. And like cynical audiences, uh, they just laugh. But I once, in France, I got two reactions. In Paris, people were like, ha, oh, ha, ha, such a cynical thing to do. Uh, in London, people were like, almost throwing themselves to the floor. But there was a, a space in France where people just said, it said like, oh, so sweet. So they were happy with the almost love you situation. I'm not, I, 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 I don't relate with that. I almost love you. That's like, I prefer like, I adore you uh, instead of I almost love you. So it depends on the perspective or on how you put things. And the documentary gives you the control to, to give it like a, a graphic uh, dignity or a, an editing dignity or just giving it space sometimes for you to watch someone like being yourself for a while. That's really, that's interesting. Documentary these days, it can be so many things, can be like a Netflix kind of amazing, entertaining thing, but it can also be uh, a world where you dive and, and you somehow understand more about a certain life or a certain person than, than, you, than you would have expected. So I definitely like this art form and it's a perfect blend of journalism, romance and, 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 and sometimes fiction also. And uh, I relate with what you say. What you say. Um, I really don't like to think that I have to express to the public how the society is bad, all those big stuff. I think that I have also to entertain the public and maybe to put some of my thoughts. I'm quite a bit of uh, pretending to let them understand through my documentary of Hitler Disc, of the Children of the Monks, how the society is bad or not. I try to portray people with dignity. That's very important. really like what you said. Um, maybe I don't uh, relate with them, but I try to have to put with them with dignity, with irony. And uh, but I also think that you you have to provoke a little bit the audience. So especially if you do a documentary where they think that we are, you are trying to explain how romantic, how um, full of love. Disco is, especially then you don't have to do to go this line because it's like it's too easy. So in Disco I show how uh, dead hard the producer of Disco were. They wanted to make money. They made wonderful music, but they never forget that they wanted to make money. They were business people. And so for me it was important to explain that to explain that they were capitalists, which I, I don't have anything against that. But they just make wonderful music, wanting to do money. So for me, it was exactly the opposite. You are listening to wonderful music, genius music, but also music that has been made to do money. Uh, Denaro was a singer. Denaro in Italian, it's denaro which is uh, money. So they, even in the name, they, they brought this idea. So it was important to, uh, to demitize also the music. And then when you interview people, it comes other topics which we, you didn't talk. I interviewed Sabrina Salerno, 
And of course, Savina Saleno had a huge success also because of physicality. And uh, it's not that I wanted especially to speak about that and ask what she thinks about feminism. But while speaking with her, it came out, watched things, and, uh, and I find it interesting. But because it was somehow natural, not because I, she had to express those topics. It just came out, and uh, I find it interesting. Um, I think that uh, I like when the documentaries have uh, a lot of different messages and the public will catch one public, public can catch one message and the other one another one and the messages uh, in my opinion um, they, they need to come naturally. For instance for me it was important to speak about colonialism with Cesaria and to understand her you need to understand uh, how it was to grow up in a colon uh, colon uh, during colonialism Portuguese colonialism for instance and when I was doing the film I was always thinking about um, the role of the music in this story and uh, I say I, I'm, I'm saying this because if we think a little bit about it uh, we can see that uh, music has achieved more than years and years of dip diplomacy, years and years of uh, advertising campaigns, because it was the music or it was Cesaria's voice who put that country on the map. Because before Cesaria, most part of the people, and even in some maps, Cape Verde didn't exist. And um, after Cesarea, uh, well, uh, Capford starts being known as a country, and uh, now it, it's in almost all maps. Um, and that was because of the music or Cesarea's voice, or, or Cape Verdean music in Cesarea's voice. Cool, thank you. So I think we can wrap up. Uh, but if you have any questions. So, um, my question is for Cesaria Evora. How did uh, emerge the will to do a document documentary uh, about Cesaria Evora? Oh. <laughs> well, first, uh, I love her, her work as an artist. Then I was always listening, listening stories about her. I have a house two steps away from her house in Cape Verde. Um, I have two sons that are half from uh, San Vicente, Cesarius Island. So for me, it was um, a, a subject, and uh, Cesario was a person and an artist with a place in my daily life. So then, um, you know, when. I was. I remember that some days after Cesaria's uh, uh, funeral, I was sitting near my at my house, in the uh, near the house in the street, and I was looking the people in the street, and I was looking. Oh, so it was. They were so many sadness in the in their eyes, and uh, it was like uh, a part of the island. Um, it seems that a part of the island died a little bit on that day. And um, she was such an incredible woman. Uh, I like that kind of 
characters that uh, can be also inspiring because uh, when Cesaria, when she get money to have an house, her only preoccupation was to have food for everybody. So I was like, mm, someone needs to tell this story. But at the moment, I was not thinking about me. I was, I was doing other kind of things. I was working much more as a journalist. So it was like someone needs to tell this story. That starts like this, maybe. Anyone else? There's only three people here, so we can just stare at them. We can have one. Any, any of you three? <laughs> any of you three? Okay. It's great that you assume that you don't want to, uh, to question anything. <laughs> you want to ask each other questions? Yeah, eventually. Like Why are you here? <laughs> what? You, 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 are, you are part of the organization? Are you my relative or...? No? Okay. Okay. What's up next for you, for each of you? I would say that this, this thing was, was interesting. Like, um, with me, it, happened, uh, it happens a lot. Like, you think, like, this should be done, and then you end up doing it. Um, like, someone should do this. It's how sometimes yeah. documentary, someone should talk about this. There's two types of, not two, like, thousands of types of how it begins, but... Sometimes it begins with an ego. Sometimes I think he's a genius and he's like, oh, you should make a documentary about this. And they just throw this sentence to anything. It's like a recurrent. I should do a documentary about this. Like, you don't have to do a documentary about everything. You can do about something that you really believe. And these, these, these calls that sometimes come from very deep um, uh, needs or instincts, for example, the, in this case, you see like colonialism and, and the memory of society, but also at the same time, like some sort of like the soul of, of the island and a relation with the family. So sometimes behind the documentary, there, there are very deep uh, feelings. It's not just something that looks great or it can be, but there's always a bit more than that, at least from my experience. And there's sometimes you, you don't assume like I, I want people to think this way, even though you are sometimes uh, moving in a certain direction. But it's, it's good that you keep things open and that people can yeah. see it many times and in different times in life and, and take different conclusions, conclusions in, in every time you see it. So it's not something self-contained or a propaganda type of thing. Uh, yeah, but definitely colonialism needs to be portrayed and, and people like us that have fa family uh, near, we are the ones that are like first in line to make the translations between both sides, between an island and the continent, between Angola and Portugal. It's and always a way of think about us and our families and, yeah. every, and our story. And bring them together somehow. So there's always History. something very personal and, and eventually it can translate into a social activism sort of thing. These days it's more sexy than it was. But, uh, and it can be, it can be a consequence, but the main goal for me, it's mo usually like a good story, a uh, good opportunity to have fun, like be ironic or to make people laugh, but also to, to portray things that people are not just paying attention. For example, in my case, there's always this need of uh, poking uh, people that are more rigid about the relation between what is uh, Afro-descendant in terms of Lusophonic world. We talk about Lusophonia, What's the name of this university? Lusophone. Lusophone, yeah. Yeah, 
I had this, that impression. I just ran in. I don't know where I am. I got late, so like, just got in. Yeah, Lozofna. Yeah, but th this is a very, uh, like, very big word. And if you think about it, for example, something that I would use to start a documentary that would talk about anything like you just, you just did, would be like, what's the most famous word you would get from, like, what's the first word you think about when you think about Portuguese? Yeah, what's the, the word that you would present to someone from Italy, for example? Like, I have a word for you. No, 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 a word in Portuguese. Fado, another one. Which one? Saudade. Yeah, eventually you, would got, you, you go there. Like Fado, Saudade, Salazar, those type of words. But um, it, uh, I would say that Saudade is probably the, our most used one. Like, we have Saudade here. We have a word that no one has. Like, check it. But then, if you think about the world, except for the Lusophonic world, uh, people are more into Saudade than Saudade. Yeah. So people are more familiar with Sodad, with an O. Cesaria's Cesaria uh, uh, interpretation, song, traditional from other authors, but it was her voice who put that feeling into Sodad. And we can go deeper into that. I'm not going to use much more time, but just putting a seed in, in your head about this. Um, Sodad, as we portray, is more related with Fado and eventually other stuff. But uh, in Cape Verde, from what I know, so that is more related with another form of immigration uh, later on. So yeah, it's it's kind of it, it, it's descendant of Lusophonic, but but it, it has a life on its own and a culture on its own. So it doesn't belong to Portugal that Sodad anymore. It's a Sodad from people that have Sodad from being in Cape Verde and they, they travel. So that's something that for me is already like empowering um, that word, that that singer, that person is already a lot in terms of uh, stating something. You don't have to state that much more. You just say like, this person is important and she's like lusophonic, but not quite. <laughs> so it's all that is very important. And, and when I pick on some subject, I, I always see that those angles, uh, the transforming potential angles for who watches it, uh, more than me having a specific idea uh, on how to make it happen. It's interesting that you, you are speaking about Sudad, and uh, for me it was uh, really interesting that uh, uh, in the film I tried to show the, um, the music, Sudad, it's the, the most well-known song interpreted, performed by Cesaria Evra, and uh, she put all the world singing and uh, crying with Sudad, and I discovered that most part of the people, even some musician, musicians, um, they think that uh, Sodad it's just a love song. And so in the film, I tried to show the music and I tried to, I would like the people to listen that song for the first time as a, a song that uh, speaks about one of the worst chapters in the Cape Verdean uh, history. It was a song made in the in the 20th century, in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, in the 20th century, when the Cape Verdean uh, went to Saint Tomé to work on cacao, and uh, they were like slaves on the 20th century. Uh, because they went there without a return ticket. And even now, you can find some Cape Verdean people in Saint Tomé that 
went to work there and stayed there because they were like slaves working. And uh, well, when you see all the audience and all the public singing and uh, in, uh, feeling, feeling the song, but uh, most part of them thinking that it's only, only a love story and it's much more than a love story. It's about a heart, so that, so that. Yeah. yeah, it's a very deep word, and yeah, I don't know how to say more about about it. Even though I don't have to, but I was trying to see what would come. But um, I have to say a bit more. Like I loved Italo disco. I used to play it when I was a kid, and and actually I have some tribal house that I thought it was like very deep, serious tribal shit, and it was Italian, like made in Italy just because it has like a pair of congas or some good timbales. I was like, oh, this is deep, deeply tribal. People, these guys are serious. Mm -hmm. And it was someone with a very moustache, though doing it uh, somewhere in Italy. So yeah, it's very interesting, the, the subject that you're approaching. I was very curious when I saw it. I think everyone should see it. Um, it's, a, it's a very, again, it, and it's very funny. It goes against like my natural uh, way of think, think, seeing things, which is like, how can someone be so pragmatic into money, money-oriented, and still making something that is somehow uh, able to reach us out? Because you don't have to think in stereotypes. Yeah. It's not that I am uh, not artistic, but everybody pretends to be artistic, so yeah. I find it shitty to say I'm an artist. It's so fucking boring, you know? Yeah. Of course I'm an artist, because I do documentaries, I don't work in a bank, mm. but it is so fucking pretentious to say that I'm an artist. So. To be an artist, it means you have to really say things which people don't like. And people don't like to say, to be here in front of an artist which speaks about money. So I want to show the public. That's my contribute to art. It's not staying here and say we had to fight to the wall and poor people. Everybody say that, come on. Yeah. So having said that, uh, it's not that I am into the money. I have to be into the money because I have a colleague I have a life and I must do that. I'm not, don't have the luxus to do what I want. But probably it's because of my Italian heritage. Uh, I may remember you that there was a guy which was called Michelangelo mm -hmm. in Italy, in the Renaissance. Ninja Turtle. And uh, he was an artist, but he had another guy behind him. He was cool, called Giulio Secondo. He was the Pope. And he had to make to give him money. So Michelangelo made wonderful painting of uh, saints and Madonna, even if it was not so <laughs> such a kind of religious guy. But the money came from there. So it's always the same. If you have artists, either you have a lot of money and then you don't speak about money, mm. or you have to somehow manage to do that. So I think it's very important if I'm allowed to educational, since I'm in university, to remember that uh, you want to be an artist, think about the money. Please. It's a nice ending. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much.